0: In this week's episode,
1: and unfortunately, for a little bit, the losing weight part overchamped my my, taking care of my diabetes. Um, And once I kind of hit my breaking point with that, I was like, you know, I really need to focus on my diabetes.
0: But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going, everybody? Owen here. I hope you're all keeping well. I'm honored that you're joining me for another episode of the Insulon podcast, Redefining Diabetes. What an episode I have for you this week, and what a guest I have for you this week. Her name is Kira Cray, type 1 diabetic. She is from California in the USA, living in San Francisco right now. So she got up super early to, to speak with me for this episode. So much appreciated, Kira. She is the creator of her type 1 diabetes blog, balanceandbolus.com. She has a social media platform at Balance and Bolus. She's going to tell you all about that, what she does, why she does it, and how she epitomizes what I want to get across on this podcast, which is living a healthy, happy life with type 1 diabetes. So I know you're going to love this conversation between me and Kira. I certainly did. We were speaking for about an hour and 10 or 20 minutes beforehand, so we said we better press record. So, don't waste any more of your time. Here is the conversation with myself and Kira. Hello, Kira. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks for joining me. I should probably let the people know that we we had planned to start this podcast at five o'clock, and then we got Kira on the line, and we were chatting for an hour and ten minutes because Kira is half Irish.
1: You guys are going to have to pay premium for that extra hour of conversation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. We were we were talking for an hour and 10 minutes and then I was like, we should probably actually get to talking about diabetes at some at some point.
1: That would be preferred. On a diabetes podcast, it just like, it makes sense.
0: It's funny because obviously me and Kira are both diabetic, but our grandparents were both buried in the same cemetery in Dublin, which is strange. So there you go.
1: Yeah, they didn't grow up far from each other at all. Just, you know, it's... Was- as far as the crow flies? Is that what they say?
0: I think so. <laughs> something like that. You can toss a stone
1: to it. I don't know. There's some saying out there.
0: <laughs> some Irish saying that you yeah. only know half of.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I am only half Irish, so that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, Kira, thank you for coming on. And I suppose the first thing that is always something that I want to hear about with any guest that I have is obviously a bit of their diagnosis story. Do you want to give us a brief overview of your diagnosis story?
1: Of course, yeah. My story—I mean, I'm not gonna brag, but it is pretty crazy. Um, if I'm gonna get diagnosed with some like life-altering chronic illness, this wasn't the worst way for it to happen. Um, in some ways, it was very bad. I did get really sick. There, I know there are some diagnoses that they go in for like a checkup, and next thing you know, they walk out of the doctor's office with a whole new um, disease. But mine—I had chickenpox. Um, about a month before. And then I started to get really sick and nauseous, eventually was like vomiting everything that I ingested. I was losing like a pound a day. I mean, within a month, I lost 20 pounds, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, And I was just thirsty all the time. And finally, after like a week, I think my parents thought it was like a flu or something. Um, They brought me into the hospital. They're like, this is not okay. There's something going on here. And so they rushed me from like a clinic up to San Francisco because I'm in the suburbs of San Francisco. They took me in an ambulance and we went up to the hospital and I was diagnosed and I was like barely conscious. I was in major DKA. I want to say my blood sugar was about 800 around there. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, I don't remember much just because I was so in and out of it, but it was around Easter. So it was spring break. I didn't even get to miss school for this (laughs) because we already had a week (laughs) off. So I'd like a redo. Um, There's no
0: good that came from it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so I was around Easter and as soon as I started feeling a little bit better, I was still pretty unconscious, but they started getting fluids in me. They'd figured out what was going on. Um, the Easter bunny wanted to come visit. And he came in and he gave me some toys and they snapped a photo. And it turned that the day after I got out of the hospital, that photo was on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> so I was all over the city and it's me looking just like bedridden. I think even on the photo, they put um, that I was five years old and I was seven. I was very young, but I'd lost so much weight that I just looked like, like, Uh, just so tiny (laughs) and Mm. so I was on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle which was pretty cool um and then the night I got out of the hospital we had tickets to go see Paul McCartney in concert and so (laughs) we went um it was the first night I checked my blood on my own uh we were like in a rush and I wanted to eat my macaroni and cheese that you know my mom had like perfectly measured out or weighed um and she was like you got to check your blood and I was like okay And I was so nervous and I did it and it barely hurt. Um, And from then on, I've been doing it ever since. But it was kind of a crazy like one week of my life where I was like in and out of consciousness. And then I remember when I started feeling better, them trying to like educate me about it. But I was so young. I mean, all I heard was shots for the rest of your life and needles for the rest of your life. And that terrified me. Um, I was absolutely just – scared um, but my parents really took on the learning responsibility so that way they could make my transition into like normal life as as easy and seamless as possible um, when we got out of the hospital like before we even went back home, we went to a Irish pub, Sam McGuire's, for an Irish breakfast, and <laughs> they loaded me up with some black and white pudding, and some bangers, and some potatoes and beans, and it was wonderful. So, um, they my parents did a really good job after that diagnosis, making sure I had as normal of a life as possible, especially when it's surrounded food. But yeah, that was that's pretty much my diagnosis story. Easter to food to Paul McCartney all in a week. <laughs> <laughs> it was like
0: you were famous on the day you were diagnosed.
1: I It really, it kind of was. It felt like it. We still have like five of those newspapers at home here somewhere because my mom was like, we need all of them.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, do you still have the photo of of you with the Easter Bunny?
1: Yeah, it's on my Instagram somewhere. I, I, I will repost it soon. It was actually, <laughs> I should actually say that I wasn't on the cover because of how, sickly adorable i was it was because the easter bunny was retiring that year (laughs) retiring because of me he was retiring so they did this big goodbye thing and i just happened the photo they used happened to be when he was giving me like a troll doll remember those guys with the hair um, oh, yeah. and yeah, so that's why I was on the front cover. It wasn't because of how.
0: So it wasn't anything related to diabetes at all. It was, p- no, it was purely because. No, we can, know, we the can brush was-
1: over that. We can just, you know what? Brush over that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, certainly an interesting start to your, your new diabetic life. Did you have any idea about how long you were going to have this thing for? Like, did you understand that this was now for the rest of your life?
1: I, you know, I did. Um, and that's a really good question because I think when we're so young, we're just kind of like, is this normal? Like, are all my other seven-year-old friends going through this right now during spring break? Um, you really don't know. Um, but I do, we have a very vivid memory. I have a creepy good memory sometimes, but I have this memory of when I was starting to feel better, I was still like on an IV drip. And so I was walking through the halls of the hospital with my mom and carrying like my IV drip and she calmly said you know those shots they just gave you um, I had just gone through like my first or like my first conscious injection of insulin and my first conscious finger prick and I remember like screaming about it and just like resisting it at all costs but um, you know once they did it it didn't hurt that bad but I thought that was the last of it and so as my mom and I are walking through the halls of the hospital she says to me you know those shots and finger pricks you just did um, those are going to be something you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. You're going to have to do the finger pricks, you know, five to six times a day at minimum. And you're going to have to do those shots every time you eat something. And she was very point blank about it, which I I commend her for, because I don't think beating around the bush would have helped. So by her being like, this is what the rest of your life is going to entail. I had a mini breakdown and I remember being so upset and scared. But then after that, when I started to feel better, I just moved forward. And I had family to help me with that, of course. But just knowing that this wasn't going to go away, I felt like I just knew that there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, you know, cry and throw a tantrum to get out of this. There was no use in that. So I just moved Mm -hmm. forward. But I did understand that it was lifelong.
0: Yeah, I always, I, I find it fascinating listening to other people's diagnosis stories, particularly when they're younger, because I was diagnosed at 19, so I was kind of at that age where I could realize the severity of it, and I understood that, okay, this is now my responsibility. I There there are certain things that I now have to do for the rest of my life to make sure I stay alive each day, essentially. yeah. And I always wonder how would even in your case, a seven year old child deal with those sort of realisations. And you mentioned that it was spring break <laughs> and you were you were thinking, Am I the only one? Like am I the only one doing this? Are my other friends doing this too on spring break? What was it like going back to school now knowing that I have to prick my finger to check my blood sugar? I have to take insulin every time I eat.
1: It was scary. I didn't like being center of attention. I didn't like drawing attention towards me. Um, I've grown out of that. I love the attention now. I'm joking. Um, (laughs) But, you know, at the time when you're seven, um, all of a sudden these teachers know this very intimate detail about you because, you know, I was so sick. And that's not normally something you go and tell your teacher about. You know, every time you get sick, you don't tell them. And so here they were knowing about this very complex, very high maintenance disease that I was going through, and I had just learned about. Um, and we had to tell them and educate them. We had to tell the kids. That was hard, you know. I had to get in front of the class and kind of tell them. I don't know if I had to do this, um, but it seemed like the best option just to make sure everyone was aware. If like I was on the sidelines of PE, um, physical education, and Drinking a juice box, you know, Um, it was important for kids to know and especially like my friends, but I don't know, maybe it was, you know, elementary school girls like they just everyone was like hyper aware almost I felt like people thought I, I was contagious. (laughs) Um, Some girls thought I was just doing it for attention. I remember younger – the boys calling me diabetes girl in the hallways. Like, they didn't know what that meant or how that would impact me. Um, But it definitely didn't feel good. I was like, wow, I just – went on spring break and I'm coming back with this whole new identity and you're seven. So like, what kind of identity do you already have? Like not, not much of one. And so all of a sudden you're just like, throw it's thrown on you that you, it's like a, a name sticker. My guy, my name is, and it's like diabetes in bold red letters. Um, and so it was, it was overwhelming, but by educating people around me, Um, Telling my teachers exactly what needs to be done, what this means. Everyone was very cooperative. Um, My teachers would like keep me in for lunch and have me test my blood with them and double check everything. Um, My mom would visit and, you know, pack my lunches and put like the exact amount of carbs on it and come to do my shots for me at the beginning. So, it was, It went, I think, as smooth as possible. I think kids are always going to be mean. So the, the kind of lightweight bullying was inevitable. But I think I handled it with with as much grace as I could. I just kind of was like, well, I can't, <laughs> you bullying me isn't going to make it go away. <laughs> but it was something kind of, you know, weird.
0: <laughs> so did you always see it as something that, because you mentioned that you, you suddenly realize that this is something I have to just get on with. And I think most diabetics have to do that themselves too because the reality of it is it's not going anywhere. Totally. Did you always see it as sort of a burden when you were at a younger age?
1: I. I don't think I did. I don't think I did in comparison to if I was diagnosed later in life. Like I just how you wonder about me at seven being diagnosed. I wonder about what it's like being 19 and you are in between, you know, maybe in between schools or or about to start your career or just trying to figure out what you want to do in life. And I feel like at 19, I was so like I wasn't extremely confident in myself but you know I had my routine I knew what I liked I knew what I liked to do I liked my I knew my hobbies and so all of a sudden you have this disease on you and it it's like wait now I have to continue this life of mine and I have this it seems more like a burden in that case but at seven you don't really have many worries um at least I was very privileged to not have many worries at seven years old. So this was really my only thing. So yes, it was a burden, but it also seemed like because I was so young, I was very like malleable in my thinking that they were able to teach me about this disease and I was like, Okay, here we go. Like we're moving <laughs> forward. I, I didn't I didn't resist it really until I got to like middle school and high school when I started gaining more independence. Weirdly enough.
0: So did you find it difficult then making the shift to looking after yourself full time essentially compared to your parents controlling, not controlling things, but looking after you even more so?
1: Yeah, that transition was weird. And there's a bunch of those transitions that happen when you're diagnosed young. It's not just like a one time transition to going from completely dependent on your parents to independent because you have so I was seven and here here we have elementary school middle school and high school um, and so I went when I was seven I was in the beginning of elementary school and then going to a whole different school with different kids um, some of the same of course but it ends up being like this like melting pot of different elementary schools and that transition was weird um, and wild and presented a lot of challenges with me just trying to grow up as like a – at the time, I guess I was like 11 years old, like an 11-year-old kid um, with diabetes. And then you have to make that another transition from middle school to high school, and you're going to the school with – you're about 14, 13 or 14 at that age, and then you're going to school with like 18-year-olds. You're in this different location – Entirely different school, different teachers having to like educate different staff at every single level here, um, and then gaining more independence at every level, right? So, you go to middle school and like you might, I was having more sleepovers, and then I go to high school and I'm eventually driving and going on like trips with friends and you know wanting to stay out late, um, which I didn't do in middle school, and then you go to college away to university and you have, you know, there's all these levels. Um, you go, I went, when I turned 18, I had to learn how to order all my pump supplies and my insulin on my own. Um, and needed to find out the number to call to do this. And there was different levels to it. Um, and that was definitely a struggle. Um, and as I got older, I kind of resisted diabetes more because when I was making those changes, I was like, wait, I just want to be a normal, 13 year old girl or normal 15 year old girl or you know a normal freshman in in college Uh, but now I have this disease I have to think about and it made me frustrated with it I was like I don't want to deal with this I just want to like go to school and make new friends and do the normal things but instead I had this like hovering black cloud of diabetes for a bit
0: yeah it's like it's it's Interesting to always hear, and I suppose you put it perfectly of those different levels that you go through in your life, and particularly when you go from elementary school or, yeah, elementary school into high school and then college and those kind of things, how your life changes so much, but your diabetes is always there.
1: Totally, and
0: yeah, it, it and you said You described it as like a dark cloud, and I've previously described it as, You know, if you see a cartoon and it's like there's a devil and an angel on a shoulder, your diabetes sometimes can be that devil on your shoulder where no matter what you do, it's always there. And that's why I always try and emphasize the importance of having a good relationship with your diabetes in the way that no matter what level you're going to in your life, is it school, college, new relationship, new house, new country, whatever it is, you have a good relationship with your diabetes because it's not going to change what we have to do to manage our blood sugar. So what do you think the main change for you was going from a younger child with diabetes to say a teenager who isn't fully comfortable with their diabetes into now somebody who always strikes me as somebody who is so positive with their diabetes?
1: Yeah, that change Really didn't happen until I was I was went away to university and I was on my own. I wasn't too far from like my home, but I was you know living on my own for the first time um, and living with people that didn't understand my diabetes and I felt like it was really my responsibility to take care of myself if I wanted to be the best version of me if I really wanted to get the most out of college and make the most real friends and relationships like I really had to secure my diabetes and figure out. Um, And build this good relationship with it so that way I could move forward and not have it be this devil or this dark cloud, you know, it's like, I needed to put an umbrella up um, for my dark cloud, and not completely ignore it, but um, understand it's there and just kind of move forward and cooperate with it, really just build this good relationship with it. Um, So when I first started college, I did not do that in, like, my first semester. Um, I did not do that at all. I was, you know, going – I was eating late-night snacks. I had, you know, experimented with drinking for the first time. There was a lot of variables that I wasn't used to. Um, and I realized that I did not feel good. <laughs> it was not feeling good to have high blood sugar all the time. It was not feeling good to eat the the crap I was eating. Um and I started to research more about food and what good food is, um, this was an interesting time because part of it was good food was re- was impacting my diabetes in a positive way. When I ate well, my diabetes felt well. But there was also this really challenging part um, of my first year of college where I was also this young teenage girl, I was 18, um, and I was going through a lot of challenges facing the social standard of what women and girls should look like. And I felt like I wasn't meeting that. And so part of me was starting to look into food because I wanted to learn how to lose weight. And it wasn't that wasn't a healthy relationship. And then part of me was also looking into food to take care of my diabetes better. Um, And unfortunately, for a little bit, the losing weight part Overchamped my my taking care of my diabetes. Um, and once I kind of hit my breaking point with that, I was like, you know, I really need to focus on my diabetes. I can't keep fostering this negative relationship with food when I have this chronic illness. And I just didn't I got sick of my own BS in a, in a sense. I was like, you know, I was trying diets. I was trying, um, I did all these crazy diets that I was reading about on the internet instead of actually like listening to my registered dietitian. Um, and eventually when I started listening to a registered dietitian and my doctors were telling me that this wasn't good for me and I saw the negative impact it was having on mental, on my mental health, I was more willing to, to cooperate with my diabetes and realize the impact diabetes can have on my mood, um, how I feel as a person. And if I just take care of that, if I just give my diabetes what it needs, um, I can move forward in a more positive manner. Um I hope that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, in absolutely. Yeah. Look, <laughs> you know,
0: good time Every, everything you're saying certainly resonates here. And yeah. I think if you're living with type one, no matter where you're from, who you are, what you do, you can always relate to somebody else that lives with type one. And that's kind of just the way it is. It's one of those conditions that because you live with it 24 hours a day, there's no escape and you can appreciate yeah. and understand everything it's, it's that another of, diabetic would say.
1: Totally. It's wild too, because there's so, there's a good amount of us, right? And I feel like we all you know, we live completely different lives, yet there's a lot of overlap when it comes to, uh, The experiences we have with diabetes. Um, Like, I've been very thankful to be a part of the diabetes community on Instagram and be able to learn that I wasn't alone in, say, this um, negative relationship with food because of diabetes. You know, when I first started recognizing that bad relationship, I didn't even realize the effect it was having on my diabetes um, for a, a bit. And I'm thankful I did. And then I joined the community and I realized a lot of people are challenged with this kind of intersection of food and diabetes Um, and so it's really nice to know you're not alone in this very complex disease no matter how crazy and different of a life you live to someone else
0: well I suppose that's the the strange sort of beauty in it Mm
1: -hmm. well you
0: mentioned that you kind of changed your habits and changed how you eat and how you view things from somebody now who always as I said strikes me as somebody who's so confidently diabetic what are a couple of things that you try to focus on each day like small habits or small routines that you like to do to ensure that diabetes doesn't get the better of you on that day
1: that's a good question um it's definitely i'm not a routine person um and i find and i sometimes i wish i was because i find, i think that would help in some scenarios. Some people um, like no, if you eat the same thing every day, then you are pretty confident in how that's going to affect your blood sugars if you eat it at the same time every day. But I am not a routine person. No matter how hard I, I don't really try that hard actually. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> um, I'd love to say I do. But you know, when it comes to food, especially, I like follow my cravings. Like I can't meal prep because I might want spaghetti one night and then. I mean, in the morning, I'll be like, I want spaghetti for dinner. And then at 5 p.m. right before dinner, I'm like, you know what? I want enchiladas. (laughs) Um, And Mm -hmm. I follow that. So for me, the things I do throughout the day are I really focus on nourishing myself. Um, I'm currently studying nutrition. And since studying nutrition, I learn about the importance of the macronutrients, um, the protein, the carbs and the fat. And throughout the day, I just try and make sure that I'm Nourishing myself—it's um, the best way I can put it. Because what I mean by it is, I'm you know not just picking at little things. I'm not just eating things because I think they're healthy. I'm building meals that incorporate all those macronutrients. They leave me full. They have greens. They have vitamins. They have minerals. They have things that are really important um, for the body. And I see my blood sugar react positively to that. And so you know, I make sure I get fruit in. Um, In the, like, even an apple as a snack. And I make sure I have, I don't eat meat. So I have always tofu um, or some kind of protein. I do eat fish, so like tuna. And I just really make sure I'm like always full, (laughs) not overly stuffed and not eating all the time. But when it comes to taking care of my diabetes, I find I have the best results when I make sure I'm having a very well balanced meal. But with that said, I think there's a thin line when it comes to like overthinking that. Um, I think people, especially with diabetes, when we have to look at the nutrition facts and the carb count, and of course the calories are like staring us in the face, we tend to get obsessive over it. Um, But by educating myself on nutrition, I find it comes way more naturally to be like, oh, I'm going to have – um, some greens and I'm going to put some like crispy tofu on top and let me get some bell pepper in there. So I get some like red and like just building like a rainbow and I just have fun with it instead of trying to obsess over it. And I think that keeps me very balanced and and healthy.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of, if not the most important part of managing diabetes is understanding the food that you're putting into your body and there are 42 confirmed different factors that can influence your blood sugar so of course we cannot control all of the things that are going to impact our blood sugar like stress hormones sleep all these kind of things but I'm a big 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 believer in trying to control for the most part the things that we can control and the top of that list is the food that you put into your body and it's Of course, eating to enjoy yourself, eating to feel good physically and mentally, but also understanding that the food that I eat each day can work wonders on my blood sugar. If I'm eating protein, if I'm eating fiber, they're gonna benefit my blood sugar. If I'm eating greens, fruits, I'm gonna feel good, all these kind of things. And that's something that always jumps out at me from your social media page is you eat so many different types of foods, but it always still looks healthy. And it, and even if it's not quote unquote healthy, you're eating it because it makes you feel good and you still know how to navigate your blood sugar around that food.
1: Yeah. I think that's really what I, my definition of healthy, actually someone just asked me on Instagram, not too recently, do you always eat healthy? Um, it was um, one of those assumption stickers and someone said, you always eat healthy. And I said, yeah, I said, that's true because I eat what my body wants. Um, I follow my cravings. I, if you look at my social media page now, I think you'll see like, Big cinnamon rolls with like icing yeah, on was, top. that
0: was the first thing I saw today. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're so, so good. And I I had those last week for breakfast and I loved every bite of it. And then I have, you know, these sweet potato fries that I made um, and with like my own cashew crema, you know, because I wanted to watch football and, and eat fries with it. Um, and then you'll also find like my green bowls where it's, it is kind of like a salad and it looks really healthy. I think that is healthy. Um, having a good balance between having food that you enjoy and having foods that are good for you. And I find if you aren't restricting yourself, that'll come to you. Um, I know a lot of people feel as though they can't buy a bag of cookies without eating all the cookies. And I find that when I gave myself permission to have the cookies, instead of telling myself I can't, I didn't really want the bag of cookies. Like I would just have one and I was very satisfied. Or, you know, some nights because every day we need different amounts of energy because every day is pretty different. Well, outside of Mm. quarantine where we're not sitting around (laughs) all day. But you know what I mean? Like in the real world, some days you walk more and you need more food than other days. And so some days I have three cookies while I watch a movie and that's okay. It's just giving myself that permission and not feeling guilt over it. I think that's what eating healthy is—it's that balance between eating stuff that's good for you and eating stuff that you also like and is good for you. Like a cookie, I really—I don't think you, everyone should have cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if you think about it, you got butter in there—that's a great fat. You got some flour in there—you got some carbs. Um, you know, it's a little bit of energy. It's—it's it's not gonna—it's not gonna kill you. But with that said, I'm not encouraging people to have cookie cake and candy for breakfast lunch and dinner it's just when you are when you find that balance it, it kind of comes to you. you you feel what your body wants and you follow it
0: yeah of course and it's it's not about as you say restricting the things that you eat and I'm always for enjoying how you eat because we're always going to be eating you know there's there's no right or wrong way to eat. It's just about understanding how this food will make me feel, how I will benefit from this food, how to manage my blood sugar around this food and i I have never liked the idea of somebody being on a diet or like a six week diet where it's super intense to lose weight or build muscle or whatever it is. For me, it's important that you understand why you eat certain foods so that you can continue to eat a way that makes you feel good for the rest of your life and you do that so perfectly because as you say you stick to your fruit you stick to your veg but you don't you don't look at a cake or or a cinnamon bun as something that I cannot eat that
1: I give myself I give myself that permission and I follow it and I have that one cinnamon bun and I'm like that's that was great I am so happy I don't need to have it every day but it just it feels good it's fuel we can't hide Hmm. from food we need food
0: and that's again something that that always jumps out at me anytime I go onto your your Instagram page. By the way, anyone listening, if you don't follow Kira on Instagram, <laughs> uh, definitely follow her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but part of the reason why I was really looking forward to getting you onto this podcast is, look, the podcast is called the Insulone Podcast, redefining diabetes, and the, the aim of it is to redefine what diabetes is to. The general public but more importantly what diabetes is to a diabetic themselves because it's easy to think of diabetes as something that is like whoa, well, of course it's life-changing but it doesn't have to restrict you from doing certain things and what I always see that jumps out so much from your page and even just from speaking to you for the afternoon today it's like the two things are you always look so happy, which is great. And then all the unreal food that you post. And for me, there are two major things about diabetes because diabetes is yes, a chronic condition that we have to live with for the rest of our lives. And you might all all like automatically associate that with being not sad, but as in, yeah, like a negative thing. And then you will always almost instantly associate diabetes with avoiding cakes, sugar, cookies, all these kind of things. And you are just the complete opposite of that. And that that just like shines through your page, which is great, because all your photos look so positive and you have so much food. And as I said to you before, we even started recording here. I do have a lot of newly diagnosed people that listen to the podcast. I do have a lot of parents of diabetics that listen to the podcast. And I was looking forward to having you on because you are somebody who will be so reassuring to those people. That's and a big
1: aim for mine, for me, honestly. Do you
0: consciously try and do that? Because that's big, big, big time. That's what comes across from your page. It's great.
1: It's interesting. It's 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 not that I go on every day saying I want to show people that they can hike, ma- climb mountains or travel or do this and that with diabetes. Um, I really am my most authentic self as much as I can be on Instagram, I do post some lows. I had ketones earlier this week and I posted a very real post about how I was feeling and it wasn't good. And so that's in there. But for the most part, by just showing my life, um, sometimes my posts might not even have to do with diabetes. They might have to do with an adventure I had or something crazy that happened to me. And at the end of the day, this is all me and it's all me with diabetes, whether I'm making the entire post, some kind of diabetes lesson, Um, I really hope that it transfers to people such as parents of um, children with diabetes. I find I get a lot of parents saying, thank you for showing me that my son or daughter will be okay. Um, Because even though right now, you know, I'm not (laughs) climbing Kilimanjaro and I'm not traveling the world. and I'm not, I don't know, swimming with sharks or anything crazy. I am living a very kind of normal life, a very fun, very grateful for this life. But you know, I'm, I'm a student. I have fun. I have a, I have, I love laughing and have a sense of humor and I haven't let diabetes stop me. And so I find that a lot of newly diagnosed or parents of kids will, you know, scroll to my Instagram and they'll be like, oh wow, she really isn't letting anything stop her. She can have a glass of wine or two and be fine. And she can, do this and that and not have to worry, um, as much. And that comes with time and it comes with lessons learned, but I'm glad I can, I can be that kind of shoulder to lean on for a lot of people in experience with this disease. And I'm happy. I'm so grateful to have that, um, this platform to do that.
0: And I think another thing you mentioned briefly there yourself, that another video that I saw the other day was when you highlight The not so good days, because look, as we both know, Kira, if you're living living with type one diabetes or just living in general, all of your days aren't going to be great. There are ups and downs regardless of what you do. And you don't shy away from those sort of posts. And I think even from my own experience, when I post about days with awful blood sugars or days where I feel like crap and diabetes has somehow, well, not somehow, but somewhat got the better of me people kind of relate to that more because they know that, wow, yeah, there's a lot of people out there suffering with the same thing as me. 100%. And the video that you put out recently, what was it? Your your pump site had disconnected or something?
1: Yeah. It, um, I had put in a new pump site at like 9pm the night before. And at 2am, I woke up and the insulin had just pulled up underneath the tape and hadn't actually gone into my body. So I had ketones. So yeah, I, was, I posted right from my bed. You know, I was just like, I don't feel good.
0: <laughs> and I think, look, I have a quote from you here, which perfectly outlines that. And it says, balance is key on those days where I accept my type 1 diabetes. Those days, why isn't it every day? It's because I don't have the answer to living a happy life with type 1 diabetes every single day. There will still be bad days, but they're also good days. And that's how balance works. And I think that's something that has always that? worked. Yeah, I got that off one of your blogs.
1: Wow, damn. I'm, good. <laughs> I'm better than I thought. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah no, I, I did say that. And I, and I truly stand by that.
0: Yeah, and look, even from my own experience, I think the biggest part of dealing with the days where you're like, oh my God, this is horrendous or I feel awful and my blood sugars are up and down, up and down or whatever it may be. Understanding that it's not always going to be perfect makes those difficult days easier to deal with. Is there something you do specifically or is there anything you say to yourself or any way you kind of reassure yourself that it will be better tomorrow on a day where you feel like crap?
1: I will use the example from this week when I had a rough day. Um, I got rid of the ketones by like eight in the morning, but the rest of my day I felt unwell. I didn't know how to explain it. It was hard to transfer my pain to, in um, words to anybody, but I just, Felt horrible. And it was kind of this reminder, you know, that diabetes will bring its bad days. But I had to think about the amount of good days I've had. I think about my trips to the beach and my picnics and my hikes and my times laughing with friends and my time studying abroad or, you know, going to parties back in the day. And I think about all the good days that diabetes has given me. Um, And it kind of reminded me, like, you know what, I'm getting this kind of not so gentle reminder that I am still a human and I'm still vulnerable and I still have diabetes but I'm going to take this bad day and I'm going to use it to appreciate all the good days because I don't think you can hide from the bad days I would love for people to come to my Instagram and me give them the keys to life and to life with diabetes <laughs> and be like this yeah. is what you do and you'll never have ketones or Everything this is what will you'll be do perfect. and yeah, like here's all the food you need to eat and you'll be fine. I wish I had the cure, <laughs> um, but the reality is I don't. I am just a, a girl balancing life with type 1 diabetes and that means there's going to be the bad days, um, but just reminding myself that there's also so many good days ahead and there's so many good days in the past that I just le- try and learn from the bad days. I think, how can I avoid this from happening again? will try my best to avoid it from happening again, even though sometimes you can't avoid um, the bad days. And I make sure to take care of myself. I hydrated, I nourished myself. Sometimes that's the most you can do. And there you have it. That's
0: the key. key. So from somebody who now is so experienced with, with type 1 diabetes, even more experienced than I am, you've had it a lot longer than I have What is, I know this is going to be a difficult one, but what is one piece of advice you would offer somebody who is diagnosed with diabetes today?
1: I usually, when I have, when I've encountered that question or asked myself that question, it is usually what I just said about, you know, you're going to have bad days, but you'll have good days. But I will say another really important piece of advice is it's okay if diabetes Changes you, I think diabetes is so all encompassing. I I relate it to an umbrella. Sometimes um, I know we're using a lot of weather metaphors here with diabetes. Oh, I love analogies. I love them. I love them. And so I kind of see diabetes as this umbrella. Um, and things will change underneath your umbrella. You know, you might move homes. You might. Um, yeah, you might encounter a global pandemic. You, you never know, and you'll experience these changes. And with that, diabetes is going to be hovering above. And it's you might it might have to make those changes with you. You know, you move to a new state, you got to figure out where do I pick up my insulin from. Um, I'm in a global pandemic. I got to find out where I'm going to pick up my insulin from. Or, you know, how does a virus affect my diabetes? There's, it's always gonna it's going to be up there. But by ignoring it, say you close that diabetes umbrella and you throw it in the in the garage until next winter, those changes below the moving or the pandemic or a new relationship are going to be, they're going to be harder because un- diabetes is a part of your life. Um, it may not, it's not all of you. It doesn't have to be all of you, but it is going to be there. And so by dismissing it, That relationship is only going to be harmful in the long run and by accepting it and letting it just kind of be there and acknowledge it, take care of yourself, take care of it um, as if it's some kind of weird mythical pet (laughs) that um, you can – I think a, 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 a a more carefree, balanced life is possible. So by just accepting and building a good relationship, the too long, (laughs) the TLDR, the too long didn't read, (laughs) is just accepting and building good relationships with it.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's definitely the key um, is fully understanding that, look, the harsh reality of it is I do have type 1 diabetes. And the more you ignore it, the harder it's going to be. So accepting educating yourself about it and particularly even just getting involved with the diabetic community is a massive, massive, massive benefit to you. I know it has been for me. It certainly has been for you. So what's something you're looking forward to, Kira? What's next for you? I know you're studying at the moment and the goal is to be a diabetes educator, I believe.
1: Yeah, that would be the, that's the more far off goal, I'd say. Right now I'm working to be a registered dietitian. And from there, there on I can apply to be, I can sit for an exam to be a diabetes educator. One thing I've learned in life so far though, is I never really know where it's going to take me. Um, I had a under, I took, I had got my first undergrad, my first bachelor's degree in European studies. <laughs> um, and I minored in Italian. Right. And towards the end, I found this passion for nutrition um, and realized that I could help I could have the potential to help other people live going through the same thing as me. And so I started getting into nutrition and I thought about all these different careers in nutrition and landed on registered dietitian. So right now I have about a year left of school, um, about a year left of classes before I do a internship. Um, And then I will sit for a registered dietitian exam. And right now I'm just having a lot of fun learning about nutrition and my body. It's really interesting to learn about how the body is supposed to handle food um, and how my body doesn't, right? Like we know what diabetes is when we're, when they teach us when we're diagnosed and all that, but actually learning how the body should work versus how my body works has been really helpful in my understanding of my diabetes. Um, And so I'm enjoying that right now. And I am also just kind of relaxing as much as I can. Since we're in the pandemic, I've been reading a lot. Um, I've been adventuring outside a lot more. I'm lucky to live in the Bay Area where we can go to the beach in January, um, Mm. even if it's a little cold. And I'm just trying to really make the most of every single day and not worry too much about the future or the past. With that said, I do all the time, but I'm working really hard not to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it can sometimes be difficult when you're spending so much time indoors And you're alone with your own thoughts, thinking, "Hmm, "What am I? What what am I supposed to do?" I know. What about this?
1: I I mean, I love. I think one of my hobbies is just stressing myself out over (laughs) things that aren't happening and aren't going to happen. But at the same time, I I know this is so cheesy, and I can't believe I'm one of these people now. But I've been meditating, (laughs) and I don't know if you knew this, but when people meditate, they have to let everyone around them know that they meditate. It's like Part of the rule. Um, same with like if you're a vegetarian, you got to let everyone know. You're a I vegetarian.
0: meditate every single day of the week.
1: Do you actually?
0: I'm telling you. And I no joke. told not many people.
1: Wow. <laughs> so
0: I'm, I'm the 1%, Kira. Yeah. But, so how have you been jo- enjoying it?
1: I've really been liking it. I use the. Um, I use the Calm app, um, hashtag not sponsored, and I really love it. It's about 10 minutes every night, and I think I like it more than other things I've tried in the past, such as, like, yoga or um, – I still journal but relying on journaling. With meditation, I like the guidance. I like being told when to breathe, when to inhale, and when to exhale, and they always throw in really fun messages. Um really fun life lessons there was one the other day about you know instead of swimming away from the wave grab a surfboard and ride it and it was like wow so cheesy but like so like I get it
0: <laughs> yeah you can always relate something from your own life to all those sort of statements or you stories can.
1: So, so I'm feeling good with that um, and it's been it's been a one day at a time kind of scenario
0: do you feel that getting into a habit of meditating has benefited your diabetes at all
1: you know i don't i don't see a direct relation the only thing i could think of is i'm sleeping a lot better um i about an hour before bedtime i do my meditation i stretch and then i read until i fall asleep and so by not like being on the screens i end up falling asleep at like a decent hour and i get a full eight to nine hours of sleep um and if i don't then you don't want to talk to me <laughs> uh, that I'm not a pleasure to be with. But um, I've kind of become a grandma like that. No offense to all the grandmas out there. Y'all are really <laughs> chill. But for me, um, and I'm waking up earlier and I'm able to spend a lot more time with myself before going out and surrounding myself with other people. By that, during a pandemic, I just mean like my parents. But, you know, <laughs> um, I like having that time for myself and to give myself – time to reflect and i i think that might positively influence my diabetes um but nothing too crazy yet
0: definitely does maybe when i start floating
1: maybe when i start get like getting to that meditation where i i start hovering off the ground and
0: hallucinating and everything yeah Yeah. i feel feel when because i'm sure as we both know if you're massively stressed that's gonna have a huge impact on your blood sugar and i think if something like 10, 15 minutes meditating each day helps calm you and de-stress you throughout the day. It could have a benefit without you even realizing, really.
1: You are so right. I mean, you're even right in the fact that I didn't even realize because you're right. It totally, I have been way less stressed and I get, I my blood sugars have been really good. I I don't look at my blood sugars every single day as a whole or, you know, I have my check-ins like maybe once a month, but I haven't thought about that. So, Yeah. Yeah, how much look. do I owe you for this uh, therapy session?
0: We can work it out after. <laughs> but no, honestly, and I think, and something that I always try and emphasise to people out there, and particularly with any client that I work with, it's like, do not underestimate the impact that stress can have on you, and it can yeah. be that sort of flatline stress throughout the day where you don't necessarily feel overly stressed, but you kind of feel, you know, that kind of uneasy. Slightly anxious feeling you get sometimes around certain situations or whatever it may be, that can massively impact your insulin resistance without you fully even realizing it. It
1: So, something
0: like meditation is a fantastic habit to be in.
1: Yeah, it can also influence, you know, when you're stressed out, I tend to grab a big bag of potato chips versus maybe some carrots and hummus. Um, And, (laughs) like we've talked about earlier, Balance is key, and I do love myself potato chips, but I'm more eating them out of stress versus eating them with intention, and that's where um, the boundary needs to be set. And so I find, you know, by giving myself – by being less stressed, I also am prioritizing taking care of myself and feeding myself well. Like if I don't sleep well, I mean we've all dealt with, you know, maybe a couple hangovers here or there. Those next days, you don't want a, you know, a salad – with just You're some croutons not. and some vegetables you want. <laughs> I don't know. You want fish from the chipper or you want a, a big burger. In, in my personal experience, that's where my cravings go. Maybe everyone's different, but um, I think that 100%. has a huge influence on it.
0: Big time. And I think you mentioned, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned chipper because you have now dual citizenship. Well, you always have. So I'm expecting you, to make a big trip over to Ireland, and I'll be waiting with a pint of Guinness. We'll be there. We'll curry, have a good crack Chinese at the, the Grave
1: diggers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Look, Kira. I'll finish with one more question that I always like to pe- always like to ask guests that I have. Don't worry, it's not a big one. If you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something, what would it be?
1: Thank you for allowing me to cut the lines at Disneyland. Sometimes that one, that one was great. They don't allow you to do that anymore, but that one was pretty cool. No, I, I know, I know what you mean, Uh, (laughs) but I do thank my diabetes for giving me the opportunity to, to learn about how my body works. I don't know without diabetes, would I ever even think about what I put into my body? Um, And then therefore I wouldn't think about this the health of my body. I wouldn't think about good exercise and I wouldn't think about good nutrition. Um, and so I'm really ga- grateful for it to teach me how to listen to the cues. You know, when we're low and we're high, we definitely feel a little bit different and we have to pay attention to that. We can't just ignore that low blood sugar feeling. And the same goes for, you know, hunger or even if I wake up and I'm just not in the best mood. I, diabetes has taught me to communicate that and be able to tell people around me, hey, I'm not feeling too hot right now. I need to take a step back. Or, you know, if I snap, I'm like, I'm sorry, I snapped at you. Blood sugar is a little high. Like, it's giving me that opportunity to acknowledge how I feel. Um, and I don't know if I would have felt that or known that without diabetes.
0: Couldn't agree more. If you're, I feel you're more in tune with how your body feels physically and mentally, which is a massive advantage. But Kira, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Do you want to tell people where they can find out more about you, get in touch with you?
1: Yes, um, I am on Instagram at Balance and Bolas. Bolus is in, you know, what we give ourselves insulin and balance is in what we've been talking about <laughs> for this for this podcast. So at Balance and Bolas, um, I also have the website, balance and which i update regularly with like recipes or just like my casual thoughts um there might be like a newsletter coming soon so you guys should subscribe to that and feel free to send me a dm I, as you guys can tell i have made owen extend his podcast past the 30 minute average um so therefore i like to talk so feel free to send me a dm and let's chat
0: nice one kira thanks so much appreciate it <laughs> thanks owen have <laughs> tell- a good day I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Soon. Bye. As usual, I just want to drop in a few words before I jump off fully. So again, look, really appreciate you all listening. I hope you are getting value from these episodes. And I know listening to a person like Kira, who has vast amounts of knowledge and experience around her own diabetes, it's difficult not to get value from, from somebody like her. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did talking to her. And again, if you haven't checked out her blog yet or followed her on social media, I would absolutely recommend it. Her blog has, like I said before the episode, so many different tips and tricks you can use and implement in your own life to better manage things physically and mentally with your own diabetes. So check out her blog, balanceandbolus.com and follow her on social media at balanceandbolus on Instagram. Again, the name and her details will be in the description of the podcast. But again, fantastic social media presence and amazing diabetes advocate. So thanks again, Kira, much appreciated. And for anybody who's listening, I do really appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you are getting value from them, which I hope you are, rating, commenting, subscribing, sharing really, really does help the podcast. And look, The aim of the podcast for myself and Graham is to reach as many diabetics worldwide as possible to hopefully help them deal with things a bit better. So the more you rate, comment, subscribe, the more people we can reach. Again, if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions, experiences you'd like to share with myself or Graham, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can get us at Podcast at gmail.com So you'll find us at that email address. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic week and we will chat to you next week.